This podcast is a presentation of Indianola First Assembly of God Church. For more information, please visit us online at indianolafirst.com. You know, whenever you start preparing a message about spiritual warfare, things start happening in your life. It's the devil don't like to be exposed. He does not like to be exposed in what he does. In what he does. And I want to tell you today, I hate the devil. I hate him. I hate the confusion he brings people. I hate the disunity he brings people. God's people. I hate the sickness he tries to bring people. I hate the divorce he brings upon people and into people's lives. I hate his plans. I hate his mission. I just hate everything about him. And I don't like his little underlings either. Those little demonic things that attach themselves to people and cause them to do things and get in there and cause problems in people's lives. You know, some of my earliest memories as a, as a kid involve waking up completely terrified in the middle of the night due to dreams of creatures that were so vile and hideous and they seemed so real that I, I couldn't tell if they were dreams or if they actually happened. And I remember ghostly type beings that, that seemed to float about with their monstrous faces. And I was thinking to myself, I remember thinking to myself that, that they're trying to get me. They would speak with nasty sounding voices and, you know, I don't remember what they said, but they would talk down to me as if I were nothing. I hate the fact that the devil tries to talk down to us like we are nothing because we are children of the Most High God. You know, as a kid, I'd usually hide under the covers as long as I could stand it. I was, I was so gripped with fear. And when I couldn't take it anymore and I could hear it and I knew it was there and I'd peek out of the covers... I'd run into my parents' room and find safety with them. And another bad dream. It's okay. Everything's all right. That's what my mom would say. And I would fall asleep between her and dad and probably wake up. I always wake up on the side, on the floor, the side of the bed. What? I don't know how that works, but I actually do now. <laughs> but it's amazing to me how this seems to be a pretty common story with children, or at least experiences similar to mine. And I have often wondered if children have a certain sensitivity, a heightened sensitivity to the spiritual realm that we kind of grow callous to as we grow up. I can't prove it with scripture, but there seems to be a continuity of at least some truth to this. Young kids, especially between the ages of three and five, they just seem to have this sensitivity. And as we become desensitized, 
as we start to communicate and go to school and become socially active with others outside of our immediate household, we forget, we lose sight of, and even fall into disbelief that there actually is a spiritual realm. The realm is a reality, and if I could even say this this morning, and I believe it would be in total truth, that that reality, the spiritual realm, is more real than this physical realm. Because this physical realm isn't going to be here forever. Science and modern thinking has tried to downplay or explain away the very existence of this realm. And again, we're starting a series this morning that I hope will not only call us back to belief and acknowledgement of the spiritual realm, but that we would develop a deeper understanding of it and how, or even how to learn, or learn how to operate within it how to operate within that spiritual realm. I want us to know how to fight our spiritual battles. And a key word that we got to keep in mind when it comes to the spiritual realm and those spiritual battles that we often find ourselves in is the word balance. Turn to your neighbor and say balance. Turn to your other neighbor and say balance because some of you on the end didn't do it. (laughs) Balance. As Christians, we can fall into the trap of putting too much focus on the topic of spiritual warfare, blaming everything on the devil and his demons, finding uh, evil entities in every corner and behind every bad thing that happens, as well as not focusing on these things enough to the place where we don't even think of operating in the spiritual realm, or it's not our first thought by any means, or believing that the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. We, we, we don't believe that anymore. We, we, you could be on two different spectrums here, but balance is the key to so many areas of our spiritual walk, and this is one of them, certainly. And I believe that one of Satan's master objectives is to keep us from believing in him at all. You know, if we don't believe in the devil... If we don't believe that he's trying to do things, lay traps, if we don't believe in that, that, that army of, of evil that he is general of and his demonic underlings, if we don't believe that they exist, then he's pretty much got us whipped already because why would we fight if it doesn't exist? Why would we do anything? So ultimately, he loves that. He loves to help us believe or cause us to believe or even marginalize our belief that he's involved, that he's there, that he's doing things. Ephesians 6.12 says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And first of all, the Apostle Paul in this verse, he acknowledges that there are principalities and powers and rulers of darkness in this world. There's an acknowledgement right there, right? It's a real thing. I mean, there are principalities and rulers of this dark world. And just to uh, define what a principality is, because that's a word we, we, we know that verse. Many of us know that verse. We can quote it from memory. But do we really know what principality means? It should be understood to, men, to mean this. It's a ruler or a magistrate in power over a territory or, or an area. A prince rules over his principality. That is his area of power, his territory, if you will. And we need a reality check here because, again, too much of the church ignores the fact that these entities, these principalities, they ignore the fact that they're real. 
While on the other side of the spectrum, there are those within the church who give so much attention to them that these rulers of darkness, they get the credit for everything and anything that happens. It's bad. Understand, folks, again, there's balance. Demons, and that's what we're talking about here, demonic entities, demons, they are absolutely real, and they are always working to cause us issues. They want to trip us up. They want to destroy us. But at the same time, we as humans are very capable of making dumb decisions all on our own. We often don't need any assistance in making mistakes, do we? This is why we are essentially letting our guard down, if you will, when we marginalize demon activity. We let our guard down. And I think most of the church kind of lives there. We let our guard down. We marginalize them. We, eh, yeah, they exist, but yeah, whatever. But we become just as deceived when we cast all blame for everything that is difficult or hard in our lives upon demonic forces. When it comes down to it, we can't blame everything on the demonic. You can't always have that excuse, the devil made me do it. We live in a culture, and, and understand this, we, we really do. We live in a culture right now that is always trying to, to, to uh, slip out of personal accountability and blame everything and everybody else for their own problems. Man, I wish one politician sometime, somewhere, would just talk about personal accountability. I, I mean, I, I'm, going on a, I'm going on a rabbit trail here. But you know, health care is a big issue in our country, right? You know, does the government pay for it? Do we pay for it? What, do we do a mix? Do we blah, blah, blah? You know what? Somebody, somewhere, should talk about personal accountability with their own health. Right? I mean, but nobody talks about that. We live in a society that wants to blame everybody else. And this is part... I believe, of the devil's master plan. Again, I want to call you to balance. If you go outside with a wet head in the middle of winter and you catch a terrible cold, that's not the devil. That's you being not so bright. But it's very possible, even probable, that the enemy wants to attack you or your loved ones with sickness. That's true as well. And we know he loves to do this. If you can't keep a job because of your unwillingness to submit to the authority placed over you, you can't point to the devil and say that he stole your job. The devil may very well be working overtime on you to feed your pride and your arrogance. He's real and his little demonic underlings, again, they are frantically working, but you're the one who lost your job if you refuse to submit to the authority that's been placed over you. Balance, folks, balance. I'm spending some time on balance because I really want us to be balanced. So as we get into this series, please, please hear my heart. And let's take that balanced approach. I want us as a church to learn how to fight our spiritual battles the way they were meant to be fought. Not with flesh or against flesh and blood but in the spirit against the principalities and rulers of darkness that come against us. Fully aware of our own ability to play into their hands because of our own dumb decisions. Let's not give the, dude, the, the, the devil too much credit, though, and let's not marginalize his efforts in killing, stealing, and destroying our lives. And let's not make his job easy by not being fully aware or fully ready for what he's trying to do. You know, when you read through the Gospels, it seems to be pretty common for Jesus to come across demon-possessed people. Have you noticed this? 
In Mark chapter 5, verse 1 through 20, we're gonna, I'm going to kind of narrate this a little bit. But Jesus came across the man who had an impure spirit. This man actually lived in the tombs. And I stopped there. I, I, whenever I read uh, scripture for devotional purposes, I usually read pretty quickly through and I think about things. But when I get into study, I try to stop at every uh, word that the Holy Spirit reveals to me that says stop. And I just sit there and I think and I meditate on it. You know, that's a, that's a good way to read the word. Not try to just see how much you can read it in one sitting, but to actually meditate even on the small sections and try to let the Holy Spirit speak every truth, that squeeze that thing for every truth that's in there, right? And I just, I've read over this a lot of times. I don't know if I've ever really made a mental point to, to think about th- this part. But it says that he made his abode, he, he, he housed himself, he lived amongst the tombs. That's gross. I mean, he made his home in the midst of rotting corpses. Think about that. That's smelly. He stinketh. Or they stinketh. I mean, can you imagine? The Bible says that no one could bind him. Maybe because they didn't want to go into the tombs. No, that's not why. They couldn't bind him with chains. He had, in fact, been bound in chains countless times, hands and feet, but he would tear the chains apart. He had superhuman strength. Remember, he was a man who had an impure spirit who had made his house inside of him which caused him to make his house amongst the dead. He had superhuman strength. The Bible says that no one was strong enough. No one was strong enough to subdue him. He would cry out with horrible screams day and night and cut himself. I was talking over this with with Pastor Jared, and I think he made made the point. He goes, isn't it interesting that the demon-possessed person, that the the person who was being demonically influenced here, one of the things he did was cut himself. Isn't that something that we deal with with our young people quite a bit? That's not to say that every young person who cuts themselves is demon-possessed. I didn't say that. They could be. It could just be that they're being influenced by But it's interesting that cutting was even going on back in the Bible. Let's pick it up at verse verse 6 in Mark chapter 5. It says, when he saw Jesus from a distance, think about this, this man who has an impure spirit, when when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, Okay, if someone ran forward up here, fell down at my knees, and just started shouting in my face, that would be weird. Would it not be kind of strange? I mean, what does that look like? What does that sound like? I'm wearing a mic, so. Jesus! That was weird. That's what the Bible says, right? He's shouted at the top of his voice. Now you know why my kids behave. (laughs) But he screamed at the top of his voice. It wasn't like, 
Yo, Jesus, I see you coming there. He screamed. I just want you to get a picture of this. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Interesting that the demon told the truth there because he was son of the most high God. In God's name, don't torture me. Remember, he's screaming. For Jesus said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Guys, understand something. This isn't a parable. This isn't a story that Jesus was telling his disciples to teach a lesson. This is historical information about an actual event that happened during the three years of Jesus' ministry. This really happened. And so we know already that Jesus not only acknowledged the spiritual realm and actual demon activity, but he dealt with it too. Real demon activity didn't cease with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection either. You may recall a situation in the book of Acts, chapter 16, where Paul and Silas were in the city of Philippi and were having some success at reaching people for Jesus. But they came across a young slave girl who had a spirit of divination, the word of God says. Some versions say that she had a familiar spirit. And the Bible says that she, uh, she brought her owners a lot of money because she would accurately read people's fortunes. They used her as a fortune teller. There was a little slave girl. She could tell fortunes because she was full of the devil. She had a spirit of divination, a familiar spirit, whatever you want to say. However you want to say it. And Paul had to deal with this. and He had to deal with this demon. Let's look at it. Acts chapter 16, verse 17 says this. She followed Paul... And the rest of us, this little girl, slave girl, shouting. Well, we have that shouting thing again. I won't have to demonstrate that again, but shouting. These men are servants of the Most High God. Is she telling the truth? Yeah. Who are telling you the way to be saved. I think this is such an interesting story. And it's not a story in the sense that it's not true. It really happened. And she kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just love the fact that Christians can get annoyed. And it's, if Paul could get annoyed, then it means it's okay that when we get annoyed, it's all right, right? That gives you license to be annoyed. How many have ever been annoyed? How many have ever felt guilty about being annoyed? Don't. Paul was annoyed, you know? Just saying. As long as you're annoyed by the right thing. But Paul became so annoyed... That he turned around and said to the spirit that was in the little slave girl, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. Paul had to deal with this demon. And I love, even though the girl was speaking the truth about them and what they were doing, Paul became annoyed. And again, other versions say, say uh, became greatly annoyed. Paul wasn't just annoyed, he was greatly annoyed. Of course, you can read about what happened after that, but my point is demonic activity was still happening after Jesus ascended into heaven. It was still going on. This is evidence of that. And I don't believe that this type of demonic activity has ceased today either. And we don't hear about it very much. I mean, when, when was the last time you've seen a demon cast out of somebody? It seems to be a rare occurrence anymore. 
Well, that's not because these spiritual creatures are non-active. Maybe it's that we've grown unaware. I want a reality check this morning for us all. We need to wake up, church. There are demonic entities working on behalf of Satan himself, and their goal is to kill, steal, and destroy you in any way that they can. The Bible bears this out. These demons are members of a highly organized army of evil where there are rankings as in chiefs and underling demons and there are territories or principalities that they are assigned to and there are even strategic meetings and plans that are made between these demons to increase their success in reaching their ultimate goals. They're organized and they hate your guts. Because you were created in the image of God and they don't like anything that's created in the image of God. They don't like anything that resembles the work of God. They hate it. Also, I'm not just talking about demon possession this morning. I'm talking about possession, oppression, suppression, or maybe just flat out being demonized in general. Sometimes it's hard to tell which one's which. Maybe it doesn't really matter because we know Jesus Christ has authority over it all. We can get bogged down in the Paralysis of analysis, right? I don't believe born-again believers can be quote-unquote demon-possessed, but I do believe that there are proclaiming Christians who have let the devil get footholds in their lives through their own disobedience, sinful behavior, and even laziness in the Christian disciplines to the point that they give over control and become manipulated by demonic forces. So even though you may not be possessed, you can certainly be overwhelmed with crippling fear or a temptation that is so strong there's just no resisting. Or maybe you've been diagnosed with a disease or even a mental disorder of some kind. Not that every sickness or disease equals demon possession. Okay, understand. Balance, right? But ultimately, that junk all does come from the enemy, right? And when you give the devil those kinds of inroads in your life of being lazy or doing things you ought not to be doing and... You're just disobedient to God. You're giving the devil footholds. When you do that, you're asking for more trouble than you really want to deal with. And it all plays out in so many different ways. And we will get into that more during the weeks to come. But going back to Mark 5 and the story of this demon-possessed man who lived within the tombs. Did you notice that portion that we read? Put that scripture back up there. When he saw Jesus... From a distance. Is that still up there? When he saw Jesus from a distance, do you notice that Jesus didn't look for the demon? I think this is really important. He wasn't on a demon hunt. I know Christians who go on demon hunts practically. They're looking for a demon everywhere. Oh, that's a demon, that's a demon, that's a demon, that's a demon. Let's name this demon. Let's do that. Jesus didn't do that. He, he, wasn't, he wasn't looking for demons. He wasn't on a demon hunt. But when he came into the area where this demon-possessed man lived, that demon-possessed man ran to him. That's interesting, isn't it? The demonically controlled man ran up to him, shouting again at the top of his voice, begging Jesus not to torture him. Ah, that's just interesting. Of course, Jesus is our example and is perfect and he's the son of God and it doesn't take a genius to figure out and accept the fact that demons actually fear him. Demons fear our God. The one that lives inside of us. And you have Jesus living on the inside of you, right? 
Anybody in here blood-bought, born again, Jesus-filled, right? You've accepted him into your life. Then Jesus lives on the inside of you. It doesn't make any sense that the demons wouldn't fear the Jesus that's in you too. In the very same way. I mean, why don't those that are demon-possessed run up to you and fall at your feet and beg you not to cast them out? You ever thought about that? He said, well, I'm not Jesus. True, you're not, but you have Jesus living on the inside of you. It's just a thought. You also have the word of God in which Jesus said, greater works will you do in my name. We know that people, as people of the presence of God, that we carry his presence wherever we go, right? Maybe if the church was really carrying his presence like they ought to be, they would walk into places and demons would begin to get fidgety. I wonder why that doesn't happen as much as it probably should in reference to how much it happened in the Word of of God. Why don't demon-possessed people run up to us in fear as this man did to Jesus? The the disciples actually asked a, a similar question after they were unable to drive a demon out of a young boy in Matthew 17. Jesus rebuked the evil spirit and it came out of him and the boy was healed of epilepsy that very moment. The disciples asked this, why couldn't we drive it? Why couldn't we drive it out? And listen to what Jesus said in response. Matthew 17, 20, he says this. He replied, because you have so little faith. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Holy smokes, that's a promise. Are you hearing me this morning? Are you taking this in? So we know that the spiritual realm is a reality and that there are demons that are working to destroy us and anything that resembles the Lord's work or his kingdom work or however you want to say it. We also know that these demons are fearful of Christ and they are subject to believers who have faith. And as the story goes in Mark chapter 5, Jesus does something very peculiar he asks him, and what is your name? Now, we can't be 100% sure if Jesus was asking the man his name or the demon or demons that possess the man uh, what his name was. I mean, Paul it specifically says in, in, the, in, the, in the Acts account that Paul spoke to that demon in the girl. I kind of believe Jesus was speaking to the demon in this man because I think he was so messed up that that's probably all he could speak to. That's what was controlling him in the moment. And the answer that this man gave Jesus may shed a little bit more light on that. And and, and in order for you to get your minds wrapped around how messed up and possessed this man actually was, I I want to play you just a short clip. And if if you're a young kid, close your ears, okay? I don't want you to hear this. If you have a young kid in here, close their ears, seriously. But I, I want to give you a mental picture. I want to get you, give you a view that, that this guy wasn't just some, some dude living in the cemetery. He was living with rotting corpses. He was messed up to no end. And he wasn't, I mean, he was screaming. He was out of his mind. Hollywood quotes this man and what he said to Jesus. Play that clip. What is your name? My name is Lee. 
That's word for word what the man said when Jesus said, what's your name? My name is Legion, for we are many. This man had a lot of demons in him. Did he look like that? I don't know, but I don't think he looked normal. He definitely was screaming. We know that. He probably smelled real bad. We know that. Then Mark 5, verse 10, continues. It says, and then he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of this arena, or out of the, I'm sorry, out of the area. I think it's really interesting. And I, the, another reason I wanted to show you this Hollywood little clip is because through media and movies and things like that, there's like this fear, I think the devil uses it to build up, because that's kind of scary, isn't it? We don't like that. We don't want to hear that in the middle of the night, right? But they build up this fear. Understand, this, this demon-possessed man who said his name was Legion, for he had many, many, many hundreds, I've, I've, I've read commentary on this, some say hundreds, some say thousands, of demons within this man, And he was scared of Jesus. Fearful. So fearful that when he saw him in the distance, he ran towards him and begged him, screamed at him, please don't torture me. That Jesus lives on the inside of you. And we often walk in fear of these demonic entities, but the only reason we would ever have to fear them is if we know that we lack faith. Or if we know the truth of the spiritual realm and the existence of demons, yet refuse to allow Jesus to be our Savior. That would be a reason to be fearful. But if you have Jesus as your Savior, if you've asked him into your heart, you're prayed up, read up in the word of God, you have no reason to fear. And when fear begins to settle in, you just got to tell it where to go. You have Jesus on the inside of you. That's an amazing thing. I remember a, uh, a time when Amelia was very young. She's probably two. And she was crying in the middle of the night. I got up out of the bed. I went into her bedroom. And she was shaking. She was so... You've seen those little kids shake because they're so fearful, right? And I said, what's wrong, Amelia? And if you want to know what Amelia looked like, talked like, act like, just look at Lady, because it's like, it's like a rerun for us. It's just completely crazy. Am, am I telling the truth, Pastor Jared? He was there. So, it, crazy. And she could talk really well at a young age. Amelia could. And she just looked at me, and she was just probably just past two. And she pointed at her closet, and she said, I said, what's wrong, honey? She goes, puppies. Puppies. Puppies get me. I'm like, no, there's no puppies here. And I turned to the closet, and the hair on my neck stood up. I felt it. There was something there, some kind of entity, some kind of demonic thing that had tried to come into my house and bring fear on my kid. Did I grab her and run out of the room and say, Lissa, there's something scary in that room? No, because I, rem I, I remembered that Jesus lives on the inside of me. And no weapon formed against me shall prosper. Amen. And at the name of Jesus, every demon will flee. Amen. And he has power over it all. They fear him. And so I 
I'm not going to lie. I, I mean, when, when, the, when, the, when the hair stands up in your arms and on the back of your neck, you're, that, that feels like fear. It feels, but it, it was more than fear. It, it, it wasn't really, really like fear. It was, well, it was like fear. It was more like, though, you, you just go into kick butt mode. You know what I'm saying? It's like a fearful kick butt mode. Like, eh. So I walked at it. I felt it. Walked at it and said, get out of my house in the name of Jesus. And I felt it just, I, I didn't see it. I felt it go right on by me and out the door. So I walked over in the hallway and it was kind of hanging out over the steps. And I said, get out of my house in the name of Jesus. And I felt it go down and then I just said, I'm walking you right out the door, buddy. And you ain't nobody of mine, but I'm walking you right out the door. And I just began to point my finger and speak the name of Jesus and command it to leave, and it left. Now, that might not seem like a big, big deal. And I, I thought, well, Amelia, Amelia did, did, did sense something. But we were in Walmart, and this was in October when they bring out all the goofy, junky masks and all that stuff that they have in Walmart in the, in the aisles. Can I say Walmart on live stream? I guess I just did. It's Stuff Mart. Stuff Mart. I won't say Walmart. Stuff Mart. Because you get your stuff there, right? Um, so anyway, we're there, and I'm pushing her in the cart, and we, we're going kind of by that aisle, and she goes instantly. She points to the scariest masks on the bottom, and she starts saying, Daddy, puppies, puppies, get me. The same thing. What did she see in that closet? I don't know. But I remembered she had said puppies before. See, guys, Demonic activity, again, it's not everywhere all the time. Uh, you know, it's not every shadow has got a demon in it or anything like that, but it's real. And it happens. And you have to be ready for it. Ready for it. And that's a pretty extreme case, obviously. Probably can only think of maybe three or four like that in my lifetime. But demons are tricky. They're manipulative. They won't come maybe in a full assault like that. Maybe it's just more subtle in your life. Maybe it's just little, like, like, a, like a dripping faucet that, that with, in a sink that has the stopper in it. And pretty soon the sink spills over. But it takes a long, long time, right? I don't know how he's working necessarily in, in, in you or, or the kinds of traps he tries to lay or all that. You've got to know that. You've got to know and recognize it. And as this historical account of the man who was possessed by many demons continues, we find out that there's a large herd of pigs nearby. <laughs> Such a crazy story. I love it. And the demons within this man begin to beg Jesus, My name is Legion, for we are many. But please, Jesus, send us into those pigs. It says in verse 13 that Jesus gave them permission. I, I, I got to underscore this too. This highly organized army of evil that makes up Satan's beck and call team, we'll call them. They have to receive permission from the captain of our army. Jesus Christ. In order to do anything. And we all too often walk in fear of those cohorts of evil, even though they are completely subject to our God, even though they are fearful of him, we don't need to be fearful of them. And somebody might say, well, why doesn't Jesus just wipe them all off the face of the earth? Why does he allow them to do what they're doing? Because he loves you so much, he wants you to have free will. And you can't have free will if you have no choice. 
He wants you to make a decision for him. And so there is evil and there is good and there is us and we can choose. And that's always the comment people say, well, why doesn't Jesus just get rid of him? Doesn't he love us? He loves you so much that he wants you to choose. And and not, not to mention the fact that if he just wiped out the devil and there was nothing but him and he made us all love him, which would be great, right? But how does that glorify him? How does that bring honor to him when there's no choice in the matter? I mean, wouldn't it be nice if we could make our wife love us? Men? You will love me now. <laughs> After a while, that'd get old, though, because you were forced it. It wasn't her choice. If you could make her. God wants us to have a choice. Once Jesus gave them permission, they went into the pigs and the herd, which numbered about 2,000, rushed down a steep bank and they all drowned in the lake that was below. I mean, there's a lot. Let me read Mark 5, 14 through 17. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people that, that what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. This whole account brings up tons of questions, uh, some that we can answer and some that we probably can't definitively answer. But, but don't miss the point this morning of, of why I'm bringing this up. These people who asked and pleaded with Jesus to leave after the incident happened are not unlike many within the church today. Even though they saw this notoriously possessed man sitting in front of them, dressed and in his right mind, normal for a change, they're like, whoa, this guy's normal. They saw this. They knew that Jesus had overcome the evil that held this man in bondage for years. And even though they knew that, they seemed more concerned for the financial losses of the pigs than they were overjoyed for this man's healing. It was easier for them to accept the absolute destruction of this man's life than to acknowledge the power and authority that Jesus was operating in. It's almost as if they were saying, wow, never thought that guy would get free. Never thought we'd see him in his right mind. But we don't want to have anything to do with this kind of stuff. This is weird. And we don't understand it. It scares us. So Jesus, just just go on. Just, Just get. Get out of here. We don't want you here anymore. Leave us alone. And church, we do this as well. We know that there's power, power, wonder-working power in the name of Jesus Christ, but we would rather let someone else operate in it. We would rather just keep the status quo and not upset the apple cart. I mean, if people are being demonically terrorized, that's sad and it's horrible. But we don't want to do what we must do to posture ourselves to be the people that can say anything or do anything about it. That's too scary. That's just not my calling. I'm not wired for stuff like that. I don't want to put myself in the firing lane of demonic attacks if I don't have to. You see, I think that this account of the demon-possessed man is absolutely relevant for today. The people that pleaded with Jesus to leave their region are just like so many wimpy Christians who refuse to get in the game. And I get it. Fear, anxiousness, busyness, Plain old physical exhaustion are all reasons that we excuse ourselves from the fight. 
But allow me to let you in on a little secret. The enemy and all of his demon, demon cohorts are fighting against you whether you're in the battle or not. So you might as well just realize that this battle is real and it's happening all around you and that you have been given everything you need to fight this battle. And if you want the complete truth of the matter, Jesus has already completely won the battle. Satan has already been defeated. And we just need to keep our spiritual foot. Everybody stomp your foot. I haven't messed with the kids' church for a change. They didn't mess with us. <laughs> keep your spiritual foot on Satan's throat so that he can't squirm out and lie to people, causing them to feel like they have to fight this big battle. The battle's won. Our fight is in keeping him under there, keeping him from lying and believing his lies. I want you to understand something about my bad dreams when I was a small child. They were more than dreams. They were demonic attacks. And I've had bad dreams here and there throughout my life, and I woke up, and you know, you, you, sometimes you just know it was a bad dream because you were watching a strange movie or you ate something weird before going to bed. It's like, oh, what a weird dream. Ever, anybody ever had that? It's not necessarily demonic. It's just something that maybe you did. Maybe you're just really overtired, and that caused you to dream. Or maybe you slept too long, and that's caused you to dream. And it was a bad dream. But these dreams that I dreamed... Back then, I can remember them 43 years later. I can still hear the voices of those creatures, and I can still remember how those hideous faces looked. I also found out later that the house that we lived in was one my parents rented. It was an old farmhouse in the country that had a terrible history. I didn't know that then. I didn't, you know, I was four or five. It had basically been a house of ill repute a house where some people live that consistently engaged in all sorts of drug parties and alcohol and all sorts of sexual encounters, orgies, all sorts of stuff. Horrible stuff. Had a huge reputation for that, that house did. I don't have to say anymore. You can just about imagine. But back then, my parents didn't understand the ramifications of the spiritual realm and the footholds that the enemy had been given within the people who had lived in that house. Today, if I had to live in that house, I, I wouldn't be afraid. I would just walk through it confidently and pray over every room. I'd anoint the place with oil and claim it to be Jesus' territory and not the devil's any longer. You know, My mom and dad did not know how to do that back then for me. They just said, oh, you had another bad dream. It was more than a dream. Church, we need to know. We need to understand. We need to be aware. It's time that we live within the truth and reality that there is a spiritual realm. There are demons who make up Satan's army of evil, and they work overtime to wreck everything godly within your life. They strive to destroy you. We also know that there are angels. I didn't even touch on that this morning. I talk, I'll talk about that next Sunday because there are two they, they, too, are entities that exist within the spiritual realm, and I, I want you to have a good understanding. But we can't, be, we can't afford to not be aware of the battles or that the battles we fight are not against flesh and blood, but they are against principalities and rulers of darkness. Not that there is a demon, again, in every shadow or that we give all the credit for everything bad that happens to the devil and not take responsibility of our own lives but to always be aware that the demonic is real and we have a responsibility to recognize it and fight those battles in the way that God intended. 
This is going to be an interesting series. It's going to go on for several weeks. I want to call the church to pray for me, for the leadership of this church, for our church as a whole, because the devil doesn't like it when you expose him. He gets squirmy. He doesn't like that. Well, then don't preach on it then. You got the wrong pastor if you think that's how I'm going to act. We'll just stick our foot down. We'll make sure it's on his throat. And we're going to expose him for the lying snake he is. He's going to get our, his, his nasty claws off of our families in the name of Jesus. He doesn't have any control. He doesn't have any power over us. We've been set free. We've been bought with a price. We're saved. We're born again. We've been delivered. If Jesus dealt with demons and Paul dealt with demons, this age is the same age as when Paul lived. We are, we, we are going to have to deal with some of this sometime. And not just marginalize it. I wonder how... I know this is going to cause me phone calls, but I don't care. Um... At least somebody calls me then. Um, I wonder how often we medicate demons. I don't know the answer to that. Did I say everybody who had any kind of mental disorder is demon-possessed? No, I did not, so don't call me and say that I said that. I had a friend who worked in a youth um, facility for mentally uh, handicapped people. There was extreme mental illness going on in this particular institution. She happened to say that she was a believer that about at least one-third, if not two-thirds of the people, but at least one-third of the people that she came in contact with, she knew it was spiritual. Now, whether they were possessed or demonized or controlled or whatever. She just felt it. Boy, that'd be, a, that'd be a job, wouldn't it? You better be ready and prayed up to go to that job every morning. If you're in here and, you're, and you struggle with some mental illness, I'm not saying that you're a demon possessed. Please don't, please don't put those words in my mouth. But I do know this. God can set you free. And he's our healer. He's our deliverer. Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First Assembly of God podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest message.